Welcome to Vino Week, Episode 6, brought to you by Vino 101. Welcome to Vino Week, I'm Bill. Hello, this is Al, and if you can say premiumization three times in a row really fast, you're better than I am. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. So our, uh, so we're here to talk about the uh, lovely world of wine that's gone by in the last week or so. Um, one of the articles we found was an article in the Wine Curmudgeon about how, yeah, well, at least there seems to be some sentiment in the industry that people are trading up, um, and mainly because sales of um, uh, bottles that are a little bit more pricey are increasing. But uh, the article basically goes on to explain that that may, may or may not be the case and gives some reasons why it may not be the case. Um I think it was interesting. Um, you know, I think it's interesting that there are a lot of um, – we're drinking more wine than the French. Um, and, I, I, you know, I don't know how that statistics derive, but we, you know, consumption-wise, we drink more per capita. And, um, you know, maybe people are trading up. It's not clear. Yeah, I'm, I'm – I'm, uh... I, I don't know if people are, are trading up or not. I'm, I'm not I'm not really sure. I, I know that, uh, you know, bag in the box or, or large quantity um, that has has boomed also and has actually gone up and is, is kind of trending. I think if you're a retailer, it's definitely easier. It, it's it's more difficult to sell higher price wines, but um it certainly is more profitable to sell higher price wines. I mean, if you if you're selling the cheap stuff, you've got to move so many more cases, which means you got to work a lot harder. Yeah. So uh, you know, there there's that. Um, I also thought there was a really really good point, sort of uh, towards the end of the end of the post, end of the article, where you know, 42 percent of the wine sold retail in the U.S. is sold through a grocery store. So you know, there is, you know, when you think about that, there is some evidence that it's becoming, um, you know, I don't know if that's just out of convenience or it's becoming more, more mainstream, if you will. You know, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you wouldn't necessarily find any, very little, if anyone in a grocery store where, you know, you walk into France into a, into a grocer and there would be wine, um, so maybe things are changing. I mean, it does the the uh, the post also says it has numbers to support it, but you know I think that there are there's more wine available at more places, and you know close to half is sold through a grocery store, and you know it's easy to pick up a bottle that you know the you know the grocer is always trying to figure out how to eke more you know more profit out of their tiny margin, so. You know, offering a bottle that's you know eight bucks instead of you know six bucks, you know, relative cost on that's not that big for them to buy. So, you know, the, it could be their merchandising that's driving it. Well, and then in in the end, you know, if you look on the last couple in the last paragraph, you know, he he kind of brings up a point. He says, um, you know, wine is becoming a, a consumer packaged good, just like laundry detergent and ketchup. Yeah, we're, we're gonna buy it like. <laughs> Well, I, you know, so when you think about it, it's it's sort of interesting. I, I think there are a lot of people that maybe not had maybe not tried wine, 
But, you know, you think of Trader Joe's and what they've done with two-buck chuck. I mean, there were a lot of people that were exposed to wine that, you know, maybe hadn't before. And it's not, yeah. it's not horrible. I mean, it's not, you know, I, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's consistent. It doesn't taste bad. So, you know, people are like, oh, well, let me try, you know, I'm paying, you know, two ninety nine for this thing. What do I get for, you know, what do I get for double that? And, you know, you start to taste one. It's got a little bit more, uh, more to it, more going on. Um, but, I, you know, I think the overall writing point of this thing is people aren't thinking about it. It's like, hey, I'm going to, I need Pinot tonight. What's on the grocery store sell shelves? If they're even thinking about that, I need red wine. What's good? Oh, this looks like a good deal. Yeah, there's, there's just, I mean, it, the convenience of it. I mean, back, back in the day, you, you had to go, and you still have to do this back east. If you go, uh, shoot, I believe in Pennsylvania, um, and a lot of the places back east, the state controls the li the liquor and the, and the wine and yeah, beer. Yeah, you have to go to the ABC store. I think in Idaho too. I was in, in vacationing in Idaho probably five years ago. Yeah, we had to go to a, we had to go to the liquor store, the state yeah, liquor and, store, and that's that's being opened up now because I mean, uh, you can buy wine or maybe not right now, but in the near future you'll be able to buy wine in a grocery store in Tennessee, which is unheard of up until now. So I mean, it's becoming more prevalent, and you know, if I were a grocer, I mean, th their margins are one, two percent, and and that's that's it. You know, so uh, anything that you can uh, you can eke out a little bit more money from, you know, I'm sure they're all up for it. Um, in the article, they also bring up um, that uh, people in the wine business assume that the Gen Xers and millennials are buying wine the same way the baby boomers have. And I think that they'd be in trouble if they think that way, <laughs> because that's just not really true, I don't think. Um, I think a lot of Gen Xers and millennials um, – they probably they experiment a lot more and they're not uh, they're not prone to to do what people say uh, baby boomers did. Yeah, I also think some of that concept around millennials is being driven by um, proximity to uh, Napa and Sonoma proximity to the Bay Area, you know, because they you know, they see these millennials that come up, you know, they come up to wine country. Yeah. And, you know, there's this perception that, and there, you know, like barrel tasting weekend, there are a lot of people. Yeah. And there's, and there's, and it is a, it is a little younger crowd than it yep. was maybe say in the past. Yep. And it's, and there's been plenty of press about how that that's been the case. We're going to talk a little bit later about bottle rock. So there's, you know, again, another, you know, this Democrat, this, you know, concept, it, it supports the, it's a, uh, uh, a red herring at some level supports a concept that this is true. Um, yeah. I don't, I, you know, I think that they're, I, I don't know, one of the things I'm learning about this, the, about wine in general is there are people who have an appreciation for it. They're the people who are going to seek out the $20 bo bottle in North, and they're a small segment, probably below 20%, if not single digit. And then there's the great unwashed masses who might throw a bottle in the supermarket cart. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I think that's a good call. Um, the only other thing that I think is, you know, I think we were talking about this um, maybe a couple weeks ago, you know, people spend, you know, 
people spend money on extra things in the grocery store, depending on how they feel. And I don't know about you, but lately it certainly has been a good feeling to go to the gas station and put fuel in your car because it's hecka cheap to drive a car these days. And, you know, in comparison, that's a really, and he, didn't he talk a little bit about fuel prices? Uh, am I confusing the articles entirely possible? You're bringing up a great point, you know, and there's, you know, market data, you know, there's plenty of any, go talk to any uh, winery and they'll tell you when the economy, when the perception that the economy is doing good, man, we're blowing things out. When the, economy, That's right. when the economy tanks, it's, you know, it got ugly. It got ugly in 2008 around here where, you know, premium winemakers are like, yeah, we got to cut our prices in half. Um, it was scary. Well, it got ugly everywhere, uh, you know, and the wine, if we're just, we're talking wine, it's a wine show, but, you know, it got ugly everywhere in the world, and a lot of countries are, are still suffering. Greece, Italy, France, they're, they're all on the skids, you know, a, a lot of these European countries are still on the skids from 2008, and they're just, you know, they're, they're trying to claw themselves back to where they were then. So um, it's very, uh, yeah, anyway, I, that, I just thought is is interesting, you know, as far as fuel, you know, when you look at the price of things, if you look at the price of a bottle of wine, say 30 years ago, and then you look at the price of a gallon of gas, say 30 years ago, I mean, the wine has gone up a lot, whereas the fuel price is pretty much static. If you if you if you factor in inflation, I'm not doing any numbers here, but I remember, shoot, man, when I was in high school, gas was it was almost two bucks a gallon then. Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's kind of true. That's so true. so I mean um, it's it, if anything, it's actually it's it's actually uh, cost less now to drive around than it did back then. So that's the point, and and I guess to drive it home is. If fuel prices are low, it doesn't cost as much money to move the bottles of liquid around. And that's why we're all experiencing such good prices in wine right now, because it doesn't cost much to move product. Yeah, I mean, transportation costs matter. So uh, should we talk about some suds? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's talk Let's talk suds. Let's see if I can uh, um, dig up this article here. Do you have it in front of you? Um, I don't yet. Okay, I have it. And it is the Marvels. So there's a young lady, Heather uh, Thorson. She owns what's called a Barbary in Santa Rosa. And yes, a barber there are actual barbers around here and many places in the country, but they're great. You can get a shave and... Yeah, she does the, the real deal, man. You go in there, you got the hot towel, you got the hot towel on your face. She gives you the, she breaks out the the leather and uh, sharpens up her straight edge and uh, gives you, a, you know, the, the original shave, yeah. lathers you up, uh, you know. And she uh, also, you know, that help you relax and make you enjoy it. She she'll offer you a beer, and she doesn't even charge you for the beer. You know, it's just part of the service. Well. I, <laughs> <so> <laughs> The government's not happy. <laughs> the government steps in again <laughs> with, uh, yeah, with the bill to make everything. Uh, they're going to fix something that isn't broken. That's right. And, I'm surprised armed treasury agents haven't showed up at her door to collect well, tax. 
Well, I, I think after this article, um, I believe she's for now she has stopped serving beer. But she did her due diligence. She actually, when she, I mean, she's had the shop for a number of years, and before she opened the shop, she went around and she asked the people at the ABC. She had attorneys check into it. And she wanted to make sure it was okay for her to, you know, give her customers a beer. You know, if they're and she's not profiting from it, she's not trying to make any money. It's just kind of a, a nice gesture. And uh, and it's pretty common. When you go to like, uh, uh, well, I have to say the ladies have. Well, if and, and I shouldn't just say the ladies. If you've gone into any um, hair salon, it's, yeah, it's pretty common to. Uh, uh, and let's face it, a um, you know the barberies. I mean, how much different that is, is that a, than a spa? Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, it's not that much different. No, hey, you know what? It's nice to check out for like an hour. Exactly, and be pampered a little bit. Nothing wrong yeah. with that. And to have a, uh, a libation while you're doing that, it just seems civilized. So uh, she's decided to not serve any more alcohol till this gets squared away because she's kind of – she wants to play it straight, you know, straight down the line. So in, in, in steps Mr. Tom Daly, Democrat from Anaheim. And uh, currently if you own um, a barbershop or a beauty salon – you not you can't legally serve alcohol, um, uh, and you um, you'd have to have in order to serve alcohol you'd actually have to have a license, uh, you know, a liquor license. Um, so, um, but if you own a hot air balloon operation or a limousine company, you can serve alcohol. So what he's trying to do is get all of these other people added onto the list. Um, I also want to point out he's a Democrat from Anaheim. Yes. A Democrat Good. from Orange County. So, you know, just saying. Go figure. Just saying. <laughs> Not sure how long he's going to last. <laughs> but no, so, I mean, it seems reasonable, right? Yeah, it, it does. It just it seems silly to me that they're even talking about it and they're, they're even wasting time dealing with it. Because no one was complaining. Her insurance company said it was fine. Uh, nobody at the ABC said anything was wrong. She hasn't been arrested. She hasn't been cited. I mean, they're making a big to-do out of nothing. Oh, the ABC guys in, um, the, the quote, quote from Tony Carrancho, supervising agent in, the, in charge of the Santa Rosa District of the California Alcohol and Beverage Control, quote, as of right now, it's illegal, unquote. <laughs> Spoken like a true politician. Servant of the public. There we go. Servant of the public. Now, Sorry. I have to say, there's no enforcement going on, so that's not a bad thing. But oh, my a, gosh. So to be in compliance, I'm sorry, Bill, you have to apply for a Type 42 license, uh, which uh, is that's, what bars. <laughs> I mean, come on, really? Hey, look, there's some val there is some value in the the government you know knowing who's serving alcohol but really like I mean, it just seems there's got to be an easier way to do that yeah so line or whatever and then so if, hope, you're, if you're caught some doing something nefarious serving alcohol to minors having party you know grossly gross violations we should figure out how to take care of that yeah and i really don't think it's i mean i think uh it's somebody going in and they're there for a second. They're having, 
a glass of Chardonnay and, you know, they're relaxing and talking and then, you know, they're 45 minutes or an hour is up and then they're out the door. You know, it's, it's not like they're sitting there and, and having pounding four or five glasses of wine and, you know, having a six pack of beer. Yeah, well, you know, you know, so you're really not going to watch the game at your barber. No, no, you, you're, you're, there. <laughs> you're there to get in and get out. So anyway, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and, and uh, see, uh, see what comes of it. But I think it's just, uh, I think it's a bunch of silliness, unfortunately. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, you can imagine the uh, salon owner who was like, this will be great PR for my business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Maybe, maybe not so much. Yeah, I, I bet you there's a lot of people coming to the shop, though. Not be yeah, she probably does have a, a, a sympathetic ear because, I mean, she's really just – and that's the whole thing is what bugs me is you got somebody that's – they're doing – they did their due diligence. They followed the rules, and it's not like they're doing something out of the norm, and they get caught in the crossfire, and then it's a big deal. So, you know, hopefully she comes out smelling like a rose in this whole thing, and I and I'm pretty sure she will actually. So let's hey so let's keep it local. Um, so we've talked in the past about the big uh, this Dairyman Winery that they're building um, or want to build um, near Sebastopol, California. Mm, yes. And, and uh, pre- article in the Press Democrat. It, we don't need to discuss this very much, but the uh, um, the owners of the project or the people who want to build the project have basically said they're gonna they're gonna foot the bill for an environmental impact study, which is a significant cost to them and i don't I, you know i'm not i'm i'm sure they're i i i don't i'm not 100 percent sure but i'm fairly certain that they're footing the bill for this thing so it's kind of interesting it's going to be a big it, this will be an interesting thing to watch we sort of had a front we sort we have a front row seat in all of this and um it's going to be a battle yeah well you know the, anytime you mention uh those two words, tiger salamander, you know, it's going to be, <laughs> it's true. It's, it's going to be a real battle. I didn't live in California when that happened. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of interesting that I live here now. And that's, I remember making fun of the tiger salamander and the people who were protecting it. Ah, uh, days when, uh, you know, a little bit of knowledge goes a long way. Well, I don't know if you noticed that uh, I didn't make the, um, I didn't make the apple blossom parade. But my wife was there, and uh, well, you know, we had our our, our representative uh, Efren Carrillo there, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where he stands on this. Yeah, that's true. Where where he comes out? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's a yeah, it's a uh, uh, you know, hopefully they'll have a successful negotiation because it'll it'll bring jobs and will add to the community, and the community could partner with the. Uh, with this company and like get stuff done. So expand the roads, put the right traffic controls in, you know, make sure the environment's protected. It can be done responsibly. Yeah. And I like the idea that they're going to actually, um, they're intending on using or modifying the existing building. So they're not going to modify the footprint of the property at all. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how they're going to do that or how that's going to look, but that's apparently they're going to use the existing buildings that are, there's a lot of buildings out there. Yeah, yeah, you know? it's uh... so they, you know, the right. Yeah, I'm just, you know, it's a good example of, you know, it's an opportunity to try to uh, uh, get a deal done, and you know, everybody wins. Yeah, and I, I think part of the reason that they're they're um, 
they're being so right on and, and taking on the full environmental impact study is you do know that uh, some other members of the family over in the valley over there, they were actually, um, I think we might have mentioned this in a previous cast, uh, they were fined uh, a, a pretty substantial amount for for overproducing the, the amount of wine that they were, um, that they were uh, allocated to produce. Allocated to produce yeah. yeah. So uh, they're, they're definitely, they got a little slap on the hand, and it was a pretty hefty fine, if, yeah. if, if I recall, but, you know. So, well, the, you know, it says in the article that they're responding to the community. That's great. I think the other thing we need to keep in mind is is that right now all of that processing is being trucked out of county, and it's being, you know, trucked to like the I think the Central Valley in some instances. Yeah. So, you know, you want to talk about the you know environmental impact. That's probably a, a over the course of time a larger environmental impact than you know, having these guys have a facility where they don't have to do that. And yeah. you know, you're, you know, look, it, it, any businessman will tell you, Oh, I can run my trucks on batteries and I can power that. I can charge them with solar. They'll do that in a heartbeat. So, you know, and that's all going to happen in the future. So, you know, why not, why not do it here? Yeah. And I don't, I, the only thing, you know, five years ago, this would have been a, we wouldn't even be talking about this. You know, it would just be done, and we just noticed some road work, and then, bam, a winery would be up. Yeah. But and it's big right now. The proposal it's substantial. Yeah, it's it's just the whole climate, in general, in Napa and in Sonoma. You know, both counties uh, are you know people are really looking at uh, growth. Yeah, you know? and, and and it's a good thing, right? A lot yeah. of people are here because it's it's got the it's it's roots are in agriculture. Um, it, uh, you know, and people are conscious about the environment. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. All right. So, uh, and, and, and to continue local, well, kind of local, the, uh, the San Francisco Chronicle had an article on Lake County. Yeah, that's local. I'm going to, I'm going to call that local. Where is Lake County? So Lake County is to the direct North of Napa to the northeast of Sonoma County. So, and directly east of Mendocino County, pretty much. Um, but it... Correct. It's it's Napa North, I guess we could yeah. say. Well, and it's interesting. There are, are um, wine winemakers who have identified geography and terrain in Lake County. So, let's say on the southern slope of some of the the mountains, the hill mountains, <laughs> I guess they call them mountains here, um, in uh, in Lake County that have similar uh, soil profiles and weather profiles as some of the high end like Cabernet vineyards in Napa County. So this article is basically talking about the geo um, um, uh, the geographic diversity in Lake County, and um, you know it. it it was formed by a lot of geothermal geothermal activity, so volcanoes, and there's still um, um, it has you know alluvial soil. There's a bunch of there's a a wide diversity of micro microclimate. So, and it's it's interesting if you trace agriculture, at least what I've been told in California, um, you know, San Jose, uh, the San Jose Valley, um, you know the what a lot of people know is the, you know, the, um, 
you know, I'd say San Jose and the Peninsula used to be a big agricultural production area. And it, it, you know, as we've developed as a people or cities and uh, become more urban, the agriculture gets pushed out. And, you know, there's evidence that things got pushed from Sonoma County into Mendocino and or, or from San Jose into Sonoma and what used to happen in Sonoma got moved into Mendocino and into Lake. So, um, you know, I had done some work in Lake County probably about five years ago and talking to somebody who used to be a stone fruit producer and work converting mm-hmm. to grapes. And there's plenty of people that used to do that in Alexander Valley and, you know, West County where some of the best Pinot in the world, Pinot grapes are grown, used to be apple orchards and hops. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember it in Lake County, you know, the little bit of time that I spent up there, I just remember there being an inordinate amount of walnut trees. Yeah. They're just everywhere. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that sort of speaks to its diversity, but it's, you know, um, I think we're going to see more and more, um, you know, that because of the soil, the volcanic soil and the microclimates, it, and it could get like baking hot there during the day, like desert heat hot, and then like, like you know, uh, coastal California cool at night. Yeah, and it's elevated too. It's yep. you know, it's 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 dry. It can be really dry. You know, the top of Mount Kanaktai, um, it's dry. I mean, it's desert dry. Yeah. So it, a... you can probably grow some really interesting. You can uh, the fruit you produce there is probably really interesting. You make some really interesting wine from it. So I yeah, think we're going to start seeing it's an undiscovered area. Well, you see, a, I, I think the first major, major producer to move up there was, was Kendall Jackson. You know, he moved up there. Oh man. Back in the, like the early eighties. And uh, when he first moved up there, he sup it was a supplement. He grew Chardonnay and he grew uh, Sauvignon Blanc up there. And, um, since then, you know, people found out that he was planting and, and, and producing a bunch of wine up there. Um, I think the major varieties up there now, as far as the reds anyway, are Syrah, Cabernet, and Zinfandel. It's a little too hot for Pinot Noir. <laughs> scorch the Pinot. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I tell you, the Cabernets that come off of that mountain, man, they are just... They're, they're pretty awesome. They're impressive. Yeah. So. Yeah. And they're a fraction... They're a fraction of the cost of some of the um, high-end Pinots in Napa. Yeah, and what's what's the name of the uh, the grower? Uh, Beckstoffer owns a whole bunch of vineyards up there. I guess you know he he he, he saw the potentiality for that area a long time ago, and he bought up a lot of property up there. So you, you yeah. drive up there and you see Beckstoffer vineyards just all over the place. And that's one of its issues. Its big issues is access. It's uh, it's not easy to get to. Well, if you got a Porsche, it's a good road. Yeah, well, a... it makes for a nice drive. <laughs> if you've got the right car, no doubt about it. <laughs> you got to have the right car. All right. Uh, well, let's see. Do we have anything else local? Yeah, you know, we got one more local thing. Big news. Oh, big news for is... local wine consumers. The Bottle Barn is changing ownership. Oh, my gosh. You know what? That's super local, though. Uh, it's super local, and uh, I was in the barn this last weekend, and I haven't been going there um, for a while because, well, I just I kind of been ordering a lot of wine in, in other areas, 
And uh, I went there and I saw the sign when I was walking in and I thought, yeah, that's kind of interesting. And, and my wife said, well, are they, are they closing? Or I said, oh, no, they're just changing owners. And it didn't register because I had no idea that these, the, the couple that owned it had owned it for 25 years till I, till I read the article. And, uh, so, uh, so, so for, the, for those of you that have not experienced the barn, it's, uh, it's like, um, it, it, yeah, it looks like a discount store, like a rundown, I, I, I'll bet a clean and neat, but you know, very, um, pedestrian. Yeah. It, it, it's not where you would think you would be able to buy premium. I'm talking high end premium wine. At really exceptional prices, um, and um, you know, um, all kinds of spirits and beer as well, and with really, really exceptional pricing. Now, for those of you that have been in the military that know what a class six store is, it looks like every class six store I've walked into in my life. Yeah, linoleum floors, just basic, you know, shelves, racks for the wine. And, you know, cases of wine and beer stacked everywhere. Stacked on the floor. It's just all. stacked on the floor. Um, you know, like an industrial cooler for the beer. <laughs> like a ginormous walk-in that they look like they bought and somebody just dropped off and they plugged in. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, they have a, a, a selection of glassware that's completely inexplicable from a merchandising standpoint. Um, oh, some of that stuff they have, even the the knickknack stuff. You ever walk through that and look, and it's like, who? All the did... time. I look. I look <laughs> through that all the time. I, I'm I'm telling you, it looks like the class every class six store in the military I've ever been in, and it, it and the prices are kind of the same too. Um, you can just get really really good um, um, deals there, and they've spent um, their they built their business on getting to know a lot of the local winemakers and they built their reputation on, you know, being able to, I think move, probably move a lot of wine for people. Yeah. They move a lot of wine. Uh, they move a lot of everything. Um, you know, they got a tremendous amount of buying power. That store is stocked with just, if, if you can walk in that store and not find something that you're, genuinely interested in and want to want to buy i'd like to see you <laughs> because it's just they have I everything friend, i had a friend come in town he wanted a bottle of crude champagne and i'm like i know exactly where to go and yeah he was surprised at the price he's like I, he was from new york he's like I, did they steal this is this fall off a truck i'm like no it's just they've learned how to they've learned how to run this business yeah they, they certainly have i mean they I think for a brief time they had a they tried to open up a, um, one in Hillsburg and I don't think that went very well, but uh, they definitely uh, they've got the formula and they have the same people. If you go in there, the same people have worked there for years and years and years. And that was and, a good gist of the article. You know, they did they were pretty progressive in terms of how they you know how they dealt with their retail employees. Um, you know, with pay and compensation. So yeah, the compensation. Light, you know, light years ahead of every other business. Yeah, yeah, something along the lines of uh, they're paid, uh, you know, well above minimum wage. Uh, some of them earn six-figure salaries. And they get bonuses. They get bonuses, uh, 401K, 3% employee match, 
fully paid medical insurance. I mean, obviously they take care of their people, and you can tell, you know, because you it's see the same. Paid off. <laughs> it's paid off. It's that simple. That works. Yeah. So, uh, but a lot of people that are, are are in the know of wine shop there, and it's a lot of the winemakers shop there, like you said before, because they get their wine in there, and you know they they want to see what other people are doing. Yeah. So you can get some really high end. They've got the whole from from three dollar bottles to to three three hundred dollar bottles. You know, I mean, he's got it all in there. Yeah, and you know, a a, a really good um, international selection. Of wine. Yeah, the guy that buys the wine there, his name's Ben Pearson. He has one of the best palates I've ever run across. Yeah. I mean, guy, Italian, Rick. French, South Africa, New Zealand, Spain. You yeah. Know, you pick a re- if if you well, you said it earlier, right? Really hard to walk out of that store um, with something in mind and can't find something. So I I know for this area, a lot of people are a little bit nervous, probably. Uh, are you nervous. I hope it doesn't change. Yeah, because of this article. They really are. And uh, I guess it's being bought by a gentleman, um, an investor out of Marin County. And uh, apparently um, he says that he's going to keep everything the way it is. He's going to keep all the employees. And uh, he's not going to change anything. And the advice that comes from the, from the owner, uh, Bruce, who's owned it for 25 years, he says, quote, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Unquote. So, yeah. we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, I could uh, I myself am a little bit nervous. <laughs> That's one of my go-to spots. Totally. Totally. It's uh, yeah. Uh, it's an institution at this juncture. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, it's uh, you know, I mean, they're just retiring. Is basically what they're doing. They're you know. He's, you know, they're in their 60s, so they're like, hey, you know, it's time to, time to cash in. So that's what's going on. So that's uh, that's that's local. We got one more thing that's kind of sort of local, and that's uh, that's the Bottle Rock, the Bottle Rock get together in Napa. So um, I actually I went to Bottle Rock the first year that it happened. The one in L.A. or the one up here? No, the one here, the one in Napa, and I thought it was a really um, yeah, I thought they did a great job as far as festivals go. Uh-huh. It is, uh, you know, really, it was pretty light on the wine, um, what wines they had available. It looks like this year they have a lot more. The food was dynamite. I mean, for, you know, we're, I mean, we're talking a rock festival here, and you have, like, you know, Chef Morimoto there, you know, doing his thing. Um, yeah. Uh, Tracy Paulson was there. I mean, I, the food option, the food and beer options were pretty awesome. Well, that's that's why I would want to go is is just for the food. I mean, I don't think, I mean, the, the music. Uh, who's gonna be there? They've got. Uh, they, you know what? The first year that I was there, um, I saw some great bands. So, for, and you know, I mean, you know, Charlie Musselwhite at five o'clock, and or you know, it's probably four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. wasn't that busy wasn't super packed i thought they did a great job spacing stuff out um it was comfortable you know a lot you go to a lot of places or concerts like that and it's just like i can't handle the people it's too dense 
Well, they're gonna have they're gonna have some good wines there. So uh, they've got uh, let's see, we've got Silver Oak Cellars, uh, Del Dado Family Vineyards, Sramsburg. Um, if you want to, if you're a high roller and you want to go VIP, they've got an area that'll offer cult wines and upscale Napa Valley restaurants like uh, Red, Goose and Gander, and uh, Atlas Social. So if you want to get one of those platinum VIP tickets, just plop down uh, 1,250 bucks uh, to thir- to three thousand dollars, and and you're in. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, there. Yeah, yeah. If you're into rock, if you want to, you know, if you want to be a boss, you can roll like a boss. You just gotta pay. Uh, I think it's, uh, I would be more along the lines of the $119 a day. I think that's where I, that's where I'd be lining up, but, uh, and I probably be looking for some kind of coupon. Yeah. (laughs) A few more dollars off, but they've got a, they've got a lot of great wineries there. Um, some of the three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yep. And Um, some of the, some of the trucks, you probably seen them down, you know, where you work. They've got bacon, bacon's going to be there. Gotta love the bacon, bacon. Yeah, Kara's Cupcakes is going to be there. Yes. Uh, Miso don't think they're better than Sif, though. Oh, okay, yeah, I don't think they're better than Sif either. Uh, Miso Hungry, um, Napa Valley Crust. I mean, they'll have all the all the food trucks there, which is always cool. You know, so that's that'd be pretty fun. Yeah, and I'll have to say they have bus. I think they have bus service from like San Francisco. Uh, I know Santa Rosa. And there's. There's gonna be like seventy bands and performers, dude. It's gonna be a lot of lot of people there. And you yeah, know, I think I bought a hundred buck ticket when I went, and I was completely satisfied with, you know, the amount of music that I heard. And hey, Bill, yeah. Snoop Snoop yeah. Dogg's gonna be there, man. How could you go wrong with? Snoop? Well, now for shizzle. How can you go wrong with Snoop? Snoop's gonna be there, man. Yeah, that's all good. <laughs> Wavy gravy's gonna be there, and so you know that's uh, if wavy you're in. Wavy gravy and Snoop would probably get along. <laughs> they probably would. So this is. Let's see what what when is this thing happening? We should tell everyone when it's happening. It is. Uh, where does that? Where does it say that? Gosh, Bottle Rock. Hmm. It's the end of this month, right? All of this stuff in this article, and it does a weekend after Labor Day. Yeah, it did. Or Memorial after, Day. Right? Yeah, so uh, if you're in the Napa Valley area, if you're in Sonoma, it's uh, I haven't been myself, but I I want to go just for the food. So I'll have to see if I can squeeze that in. May 29 through 31. 29 through 31. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you, sir. All and, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Imagine Dragons, Robert Plant, no doubt. Foster for the people. Snoop Dogg, Cage the Elephant. There, I mean, it's it's you're going to get your money's worth. You can camp yeah. too, so yeah, you can camp out. You're not. It's it's going to be a good time, and they got all kinds of transportation, so it's not like you're gonna, you know. It's, you don't it's, have to drive, so you can yeah. partake. You can have it, a few glasses of wine, not worry about it. Exactly, and don't forget Uber. You know, I mean, you Uber know, is active. Uber is active there, and yeah. running in in our fine area and our fine counties. So, uh, are we moving overseas now? Got to go overseas because this is a all right, good what, story. What do you got, man? We got some Runart champagne. Yeah, that was not a great story I was thinking of. I was thinking of the Indonesian story, but uh, oh, okay, well, go ahead, either one. I, was, I don't care. The the Runar Champagne one's a good one too. I think the Indonesian one is pretty amazing too. So, you know, which pick one? Let me know which one you want. Right, let's 
Talk about Indonesia. All right, Indonesia. Let me see if I can uh, find that on my ledger here. Uh, I think they're getting ready to do something like uh, ban all sales of alcohol. Is that That's right? Correct. <laughs> Full alcohol ban. That sounds That's harsh. so wrong. <laughs> and what's really funny is as I'm reading this article, an, a, an overlay comes up for Jose Cuervo. Yes, exactly. I see that too. It's the drink business. It's like, it's, wait a minute. It's pretty funny. Um, if they only knew. So yeah, um, they're, they're economic in affairs state. minister. And how do you say that name? You would know how. I have no idea. Dijali, maybe. Yeah, Dijali. Yeah, yeah. Looks like a maybe. Looks like a, looks like a nice guy. But he's not into the alcohol sales, that's for sure. I guess. But. Um, I guess beer sales have increased 54% in Indonesia over the past decade. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. That's... So I'm not, I'm not sure why they'd want to stop, uh, stop good business, but uh, uh, despite increasing sales, um, they're ready to uh, shut down. I guess you could, I guess you could, um, let me just real briefly, I believe you can still, if this passes, You'll still be able to sell it, and the, the high-end resorts will still be able to sell. Of course, yeah. You know we're yeah, we're the we're the citizens of the world who have access to basically anything. Isn't that great? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why the poor working stiff can't have a beer at night? That seems that, that, that seems like a call for revolution in my mind. Uh, Rough. Rough. Yeah, so the the small retailers uh, they're they're not going to be uh, they're not going to be in such good shape. So there's not a whole bunch to this article. It's in the drinks business. It's by Neil Baker. Uh, I just thought it was kind of interesting. You know, we're we're in this liberal society over here, but there's so many pockets of the world where you know alcohol is demonized, and they're still going through their old um, their prohibitionist ways. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a cogent point, my friend. A cogent point. Um. So. You know the other I a good article we could talk about is the the whole the natural wine article. Hey, you got more. Yeah, I got more. Okay. Podcast. We're not paying by the hour or anything. <laughs> I guess not. Okay. We just prattle on. And those of you that are listening can either fast forward, stop, or speed it, turn it off, whatever. Yeah, well, you know, we we, we got a uh, actually people are listening, so that's uh, that's that's encouraging. True. <laughs> that's true. We well, appreciate that. Good, so I've been reading. I've actually been reading a lot about natural uh, uh, natural wine in the context of what does it mean? You know, uh, it, you know, it's a bunch of hype. Um, so I, you know, I, it, it's a good topic to talk about. Well, in this article, just briefly, they, they kind of try to give you a, just a brief overview. It's, it's, it's really super complicated, but to, to, to make a long story short, they're, they're saying that, that natural wine is a wine where when you grow the grapes, you don't use any herbicides. Uh, you're not using any chemical fertilizers, uh, no genetically modified vines, um, let's see, uh, you're only going to use native yeast, um, that are on the grapes and, and most, you know, a lot of wineries, they don't like to do that. And I want to get into all the details, but you know, a lot, 
you know, winemaking is like, um, it's like cooking. I mean, you want to really control what you're doing and you want to have a consistent, um, consistently the same out, out, you know, outlook when you're done. And you can't, if you, if you just kind of like let nature do its own thing and just kind of look back, you're always going to have a different result. So natural wines in that regard can be, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, you're kind of juggling with yeah, your desk. You know, so you go to UC Davis and you, you know, you study this business. Um, it's all about the science of controlling that process. Yep. Speeding it up, slowing it down, controlling the temperature. Controlling slow. it. So you, yeah. you can, you can control the output of the product. You can control its taste, its flavor, its character. And you know what? We're getting pretty good. We can do a lot of that. And what these guys, uh, I, you know, I think there's a, a reaction to that, you know, to that science where winemaking is more of an art and you work with what you're, your work with what you can produce without, you know, um, you know, without having you're, with what's available right in front of you. I don't, I don't know how else to describe that, but. And what it, what, it, what it kind of reminds me of a little bit, I mean, to step on you, but it, it kind of reminds me of Western medicine versus uh, homeopathy. And, you know, I mean, they both kind of get the same result done, but one is one is seen as, you know, this is the way it's done. This is the science, blah, blah, blah. And the other is seen as, you know, kind of kooky, yeah. you know, and, and that's that's kind of kind of how I see it. You know, yeah. people, I people that are. That's a good analogy. You know, I you know, when I when I uh, read about what natural winemaking means, you know, I think a lot. Um, you know, I have family history where like my dad tells me you know, whatever they, they, you know, his relatives and family made wine with whatever they grew, mm -hmm. Rasp, yep. you know, raspberries, you know, elderberry, whatever they made wine. Yep. Um, so whatever the, they could get the land to produce, they would, you know, that it fed, it, it sustained them, you know, didn't have a lot of money to go buy $20 bottles of wine. So they made it with whatever they had. Um, and I think this, you know, natural winemaking is some experience of that with some science, with some science. I mean, you can measure pH, you can, uh, you know, you can use some techniques that don't nat uh, alter the natural course of the wine. So, and I also think a lot of consumers have no idea what goes on in the winemaking process. Wine's not holding acid, so we start adding acid, you know, you know, a lot of, you know sulfur the the nutrient the additives um that go into the soil there's a lot of stuff that goes on that people don't really understand and, it, and we're not talking about the people that are adding other kinds of additives to their wine yeah if you go if you go to a winery like you know i'm and obviously i'm not going to mention any names but if you go to like a winery of size say a winery that produces you know 40 50 60 thousand cases of wine or you know you you walk into a certain area of that winery and you're going to find like a chemistry. Uh, oh, there's a lab. You, you're going to find a, a chemistry lab, but what you're also going to find is you're going to find the chemical storage area. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. It's, it's going to have things in there that they use when they're processing the product, my friend. Yeah. And, and, um, and we're not talking about, you know, what's going into the, into the ground. We're not talking about the farm. Yeah, no, we're, we're talking about what's the great the production facility. It, yeah. It's a, you know, 
it's a factory at some level. Yeah, yeah. So that that so, part of it's all about controlling process. You know, it's about you know, you're putting a lot of stuff into this and expecting to be able to sell it for it better be consistent, taste the same, and it makes sense. And it's funny if you look at what the French have done, the like Champagne houses, they they're they're trying to do this in some natural way. And I yep. and I say that because they the technology didn't exist years ago when they were you know, the techniques they use now are still sort of in play. Well, that and the fact that, you know, they used, um, you know, in Europe and in France in general, they used the modern technology and the modern fertilizers, and they basically killed all of their soil. So they had to, you know, <laughs> they had to, like, uh, change their ways, so to speak, you know, for the future generations. And I think a lot of these natural winemakers, they're, that's, that's their thing is they're thinking beyond their lifespan. They're thinking of the next generation when they're making their product. Yeah. And I think that that's what a lot of them adhere to. And that's, that's their manifesto, so to speak. Um, this guy, um, uh, in this article, it's uh, John Perrault Bay. Uh, I believe that's how you say it. Um, nice. he makes, he makes a wine. Um, he makes a Sagrantino, uh, wine, which I think. <laughs> Sagrantino. <laughs> Sagrantino is uh well I think you had one you had one one time at uh at the Gambero Rosso. We, we just finished tasting some lighter wine and I, I mean, had a I glass and said, Don't try this. I remember <laughs> exactly. It's like Sagrantino what? What is that? Is it a grape varietal? Yes, yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, so this is, you know stuff it you is. don't stuff you don't see here. Yeah, and it's a super, um, it's a, a super tannic, uh, deeply colored. Um, uh, I remember this now because yes. when you said deeply colored tannic, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this wine. I had to brush my teeth afterwards. Yeah, so he. No, it was, it was, it was a, uh, yeah, it was, it was a natural wine. <laughs> it was a, it was a mouthful. So. Um, but anyway, um, you know, I, I just the whole natural, uh, organic, biodynamic, and I guess if you're going to look at it, if you're going to look at it in a spectrum, you have winemaking, then you have the, uh, what do they call it? Uh, everyone's using it. I'm, it's got right on the tip of my tongue. Um, what is it when you're socially responsible? What's the buzzword in the wine industry these days for uh, sustainable? Oh, oh God. So you got sustainable, and then you have organic, and then you have a little further, further to the left. You have the biodynamic, and I guess natural would be as far left as you could get would yeah. would be natural. So, you know, I, it'd be interesting to to have a producer uh, make like um, a natural wine, uh, make a say a bio, bio you know, on the same estate, kind of like make three different types of wines, all the same variety, use all you know, basically try to keep the process similar and see what the difference is. Yeah, definitely. Because I'm not convinced that there is, uh, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone has any proof that there's a big difference. I think it's more along the lines of, like I said, it's, you want to take care of the earth. And uh, by the way, it is earth day. <laughs> so we're, we're ending on a good note here. Totally. <laughs> it is earth day. I don't know. What are you doing for earth day, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. You should probably drink a natural wine, though. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a natural wine, so I can't drink I have one. No natural wine. 
I might have another beer. There's the question of the day. How much natural wine do you have in your wine stash? <laughs> so uh, you got anything else? Uh, you know, there's other stuff we can talk about, but we should probably wrap it up. Yeah, I think so. We're... Um, yeah. I agree. Well, um, once again, um, if you folks like what you're hearing, share with somebody else. Um, we really appreciate you listening. We can kind of, you know, Bill keeps track of the numbers, so he could kind of see what's going on. Um, and uh, we just put out a podcast uh, today. We did this morning. Yeah. It's a it's a it, it's a cool one to check out. It's an interview with uh, 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 a winemaker and winery owner in Italy. Yeah, Fa Fausto Albanese of uh, Torre di Beate. Torre di Beate. So um, yeah, he's he's and he makes his wine. Uh, he's an organic winemaker and uh, does a little biodynamic farming also. So uh, and his wines are uh, dynamite. So if you run across any of those wines from Torre di Beate. Uh, don't hesitate to pull out um, the coin and uh, and uh, purchase a bottle or two. Yeah, they're worth it. And there's a story behind every wine he makes. Yeah, great labels, great stories. So that's you know, and and not his first endeavor in life. And uh, no, not not at all. Hey, I had another um, uh, fantastic bottle. I think last time I mentioned uh, my bottle of the year, but I had something that was also very good from uh, Uruguay. And it's a Tanat made made by uh, Garzon. Garzon. And uh, it's about 16 bucks a bottle. Yeah, it's 13.8 alcohol. And it's all Tanat. And boy, what a delicious bottle of wine that was. So um, if you ever see that in the store, um, I recommend you try that out. Expand your zone. Yeah, uh, Tanat. And uh, it looks like the grapes, historically grown in southwest France. Yeah, it's uh, it's really uh, it's uh, it was a uh, Garzon, G A R Z O N, Garzon. So, so there's uh, there's a wine tip there for you. Cool. All right, Bill, I think we're I think we can wrap it up here. Sounds good. Until uh, next time. Till next time. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, should, well, one more thing. Should oh, we mention? Oh. Should we mention where we're going? Yeah, man, we should mention that. Do you have that up? Uh, this weekend we got the uh, Tempranillo tasting, right? It is it a is. Tempranillo tasting. And uh, it's on the 26th, so if you're in the San Francisco area, uh, there's probably going to be some good food there too, I would imagine. It's tapas and Tempranillo, yeah? Yeah, boy, I can't so wait. I made Tempranillo, so I'm very excited to go. Are you going to bring a bottle and uh, run it up against some of the competition down uh, there? You, I I would love to do that. <laughs> okay. We'll so see. I use we we use science making that wine and it, it we like it so. There you go. Yeah, there you go. But you were making it with a science minded person. So. Totally. <laughs> totally. But it you know hey it for a uh, for a freshman endeavor I was I was very delighted but, um, but yeah it's really uh it's really good. You got any brews over there that you made? Any home homemade brews? Not lately. Oh man, because so, the ones that I had were good. I mean, life's getting in the way. I know, but it's true. It's, it's, it's hard to find the five-hour block of time. Yeah, it's 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 tough. Yeah, 
I well, feel like... you know the the uh, I'm getting some helpers online, so fantastical. Okay, Bill. Alrighty. Until we meet again. Indeed. Uh, I'll see you on Sunday. All right. All the best. Cheers, everyone. Bye.